0: A good Monday I was going to say good Monday morning But who knows when you're catching real talk Who knows what it is Maybe it's Monday afternoon Maybe it's Monday evening Maybe you got the week off And you're sleeping in Because you've got the fan On that perfect oscillation cycle Where it's hitting you just right when you need it to hit you And you're going to sleep in today as much as you can Which probably isn't going to be as long as it might be On a snowy cold winter day This is a subtle reminder that those days are coming. There will be snow on the ground. Why do you got to do that? In probably three and a half months, there will be snow. And so take it all in, everybody. Uh, But maybe you're maybe you're waiting until the temperature's cool and you're going to be out walking and you're going to be checking in with your favorite podcast. In, In that circumstance, in that case, we wish you a very happy Monday evening. Or maybe you're catching it on Tuesday, but I think you get the point as we bring you this show. It is july 12th ryan jesperson with you sarah hoyle samuel brooks a great show in store this show is presented by the team at bitcoin well they've got bitcoin atms across the country proudly headquartered in edmonton alberta i ran into somebody on a t-box this weekend I'm not gonna say they were taking their sweet time. It's not their fault. The group in front of them was slow playing. It just meant that we had a chance to connect. And of course it winds up they're real talkers and we started talking about crypto and they were picking my brain on Bitcoin. Well, great conversation. seems like everybody you talk to about cryptocurrency, not everybody, there's a lot of different angles of approach on what intrigues people about it. So it makes the team at Bitcoin well tick as well. We have some great conversations with them. They love chatting with their customers you can track him down if you have any questions find them under the sponsors tab at ryan real talk
1: starts right now here's ryan jesperson
0: coming up in uh 10 minutes or so maybe seven minutes we'll see how things play out we're going to check in with a physician uh dr ninja back was was putting it all out there on social media yes I, I, over the weekend i've i really over the past year and a half is it fair to say that we've never seen um i'm going to say professionals in particular i'm talking about those in the public service i don't think it matters where you are if you're if you're listening or tuned in across the country i think it's it's been this way and and maybe even around the world um public servants, and especially those in medicine and education, advocating for themselves publicly on social media. You have these pop-up war rooms. We have war rooms for, for doctors and nurses, and I saw a public educator's war room popping up. Um, now, of course, there's there, there are some cheeky references there to provincial politics. Uh, Western Canadians will know exactly what I'm talking about with the idea of the war rooms. Uh, but but it's, it's been an interesting development uh, to see in many circumstances, you know, physicians, surgeons coming forward and really, I mean, putting their names out there You've got their 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 bios there, their photos on their profiles. They are on the record, and they're sounding the alarm in many circumstances about what they're seeing around them. In this case, Dr. Bakshi is a physician, and internist, an internal medicine doctor, out of downtown Edmonton, Alberta, the Royal Alexandra Hospital, and uh, the commentary around staffing levels, in particular nurses. This is going to be an interesting one, and I'm curious to know where you're going to land on this. Real talkers, we'll be keeping an eye on our hashtag #RealTalkRJ today. Of course, you can send us an email anytime, on or off the record, uh, to talk at ryanjesperson.com. In about 25 minutes, we're going to talk to energy economist, Dr. Andrew Leach. He's been on the show before. uh, A well-known voice when it comes to the economics of the energy business. That includes, I mean, when, when you talk about, people talk about value adding, people talk about upstream, downstream kind of stuff. People talk about everything that goes into maximizing natural resource revenue as much as humanly possible, how many times have you heard people say why aren't we refining more why aren't we why aren't we creating more jobs and refining more here at home here in Canada? well, there's been one project in particular that's that's carried great controversy from essentially the moment that ground broke um, it's we're talking about We're talking about the Sturgeon Refinery, of course, and as it's been described, a multi-billion dollar boondoggle. Well, the Alberta government's bought in. The province uh, a week ago today announced that it was extending the Sturgeon Refinery deal by 10 years and buying a 50% stake in it man this is like this is the government for a lot of people that are saying hang on a second but how does this work like from a from a conservative ideology how how does it work to be investing right dumping a bunch of public dollars a bunch of public money into something that 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 i mean arguably isn't even feasible that with every barrel it produces is losing more money. In other words, the best way to save it might be to, I don't know, shut it down. So Leach is on the record here, Dr. Leach writing about it, but but he's taken a unique angle. He's taken an angle that suggests that Jason Kenny's of past, in other words, Jason Kenny in his past role with I believe he was the what was he, the founding CEO of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, way back in the day, he launched it with others. That was like his first real gig. Right? And then he, before he entered politics, but the, but, but the Canadian Taxpayers Federation was, was, was Jason Kenney's first big thing as, as as the antagonist there. Right. So what would he have said? Jason Kenney of past have said about Jason Kenney of today, the premier of Alberta investing in or depending on your perspective, dumping money into that Sturgeon refinery. I'm sure that we'll also talk about Keystone XL. I'm sure we're also going to talk about some other investments that the provincial government has made in energy. Dr. Leach is coming up on this. Again in about 20 minutes time And then in what I think will be um, And I'm going to say this as a a bold claim Just seven minutes into our first show of the week I think this is probably going to be One of the highlights of the week to come And that's saying something We're going to meet Gary the Adventure Cat Gary the Adventure Cat will be live on the program Sarah Hoyles Mm -hmm. In front of a microphone I'm not sure We'll see if we can get him to You know chime in a little bit But as human James Easton is going to be joining us as well
2: yeah, straight out of Canmore, this, this feline is quite the adventurer. I mean, his name is not a misnomer. He's climbed mountains. He's, he's been on uh, snowmobiles. He's been in helicopters. This
0: isn't some weird spin of somebody giving their pet a name that it does not deserve. That's right. Gary the Adventure Cat is a legitimate adventurer.
2: Super legit.
0: I you told me about him. I'm gonna be I, I and I'll I'll disclose this to them if necessary uh, But I was I was actually unaware of Gary the adventure cat up until you put him on my radar It was it just he had not crossed and I was like, okay, what's this cat all about? 400,000 Instagram followers. Okay. Okay. The age I got you right celebrity pets. You. You. you got us covered You got us, you know when we say <laughs> when we say this this program brings you real talk on news politics And pop culture this is the pop culture side now of course in true real talk fashion we also do have content coming up later this week for all the dog lovers out there
2: Well you got to make sure you got all the bases covered I mean I'm sure we'll hear people talk about where the budgies
0: Birds yeah they're gonna get on us people with pet ferrets pot-bellied pigs.
2: Okay, I take that challenge up.
0: Right. I I do. Yeah. We've, we've got some ag content coming up. Speaking of animals, yeah. totally different story, but ag content coming up as well. had a chance to... To check in with some producers over the weekend and, and hear a little bit. I was like, so how's this weather doing? What's this doing for you guys? And there there are I, I'm not going to be in a position for our friends that are listening in from rural areas, from from our farmers and ranchers and friends that join us every day. You know so much more about this than me. I'm not going to try to sound like I know what I'm talking about, but this weather is having huge implications not good ones on uh crops in particular they're saying that canola is going to really struggle this year they're going to be pulling it off early and it's not going to look as great as it typically does now i'm sure that there's somebody listening from, from some beautiful part of canada that's had just absolutely stunning conditions that's going to have record setting canola crops somewhere um but this now means that there people are trading futures and the market's going wild and i mean the global implications of all this stuff is uh mind bending when you talk to people that actually know what they're talking about Um, so that's a story that's on our radar and of course we're going to continue to cover that Uh, you can always be in touch with the show if you want to you know we invite you to help drive our editorial process if there's something going on um, that's that's really relevant to you in your neck of the woods or if you see a story if there's something on your radar that that you're not seeing covered in the six o'clock news, it's not on the front page of the newspaper. You're not seeing buzz about it on social media. You want to put it on our radar? Talk at ryanjesperson.com is always the best way to get something in front of us. It's there in our inbox. It's going to, uh, you know, we're going to receive it, have a chance to 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 take a look at it and dig into it of course you know we have people engaged in the live chat people hitting us up on social media but sometimes those messages you know how it goes they can be so fleeting right and they just they pass by it's like a stock ticker and all of a sudden you're like what was that story about the what so emails oftentimes most times the best way to get in touch with us of course our hashtag Real Talk rj is powered by the team at Park Power. <clears throat> Over the weekend, I was <laughs> I love their Instagram. I was telling you, you gotta you gotta follow Park Power on social media. Their Instagram's hilarious. They were talking about National Slurpee Day the other day. You're like, what does that have to do with power? I mean, maybe not much. It's just great information. Their team is dialed in on stuff that matters to you. I've talked to you about their charitable commitments. When you bring your business to them, internet electricity, natural gas, 10% of their electricity. Profits, they go back into the community. You get to pick which nonprofit it goes to. How cool is that? parkpower.ca with the promo code 2021-real talk you can save $70 off your first bill bring your business there today it's easy to switch over at parkpower.ca also a big shout out to the team at westworld computers more than 40 years of sales and service excellence it's an independently family owned business and of course at westworld.ca you can not only shop their new lineup but also, you know, make sure that you book that service appointment so you're not having to deal with all the crowds at the malls. Nobody likes that with the big box stores. Westworld Computers, proudly family owned and a proud partner of Real Talk, powering the Real Talk studio. We're going to be talking healthcare in just a little bit. Of course, we're also receiving emails from you. These are good ones. This one from Cheryl, who's making us think today. We always want to know how did your weekend go. We should probably talk about Euro at some point. England with a big win. I don't. Li- I don't like how they do it. No, no. I'm, England lost. England, pardon me. Italy. Yeah. What am I talking? About? Well, England's on the radar because we were talking about all this racist bullshit that goes yeah. on. And, uh, pff, gee, anyway, you know what? I I, I absolutely ca- I, I can't stand that that that's the big headline Mm. right like if you search euro right now england's all over the place and and why is it because a bunch of absolute idiots are piling on these athletes that have proudly represented their country i mean you know and and the the racist attacks we talked about this earlier the national hockey league edmonton oilers defenseman ethan bear same bullshit and and then this is the story right i mean the real i mean I i don't mean the real story but what i'm saying is that italy wins the championship I don't like how they do it, by the way. Penalty kicks are like that is ridiculous to d- to determine a championship penalty kicks. I know that's how they do it. I know people are going to light me up and say this is the way it goes. It's the same, you know. The, the field's level for everybody. Blah blah blah. I just don't like it. I don't like penalty. You would never, you would never determine the Stanley Cup. You would never determine the Stanley Cup on penalty shots. You just never would. I want to know aren't, why they're called penalty shots.
2: Aren't there? Aren't there like? When you have, uh, you know, if there's no score, <laughs> what's the
0: worst? if it's if it's, tied, if it's if it's a if shutout, it's, if it's nil nil, no.
2: yeah, if it's nil nil, there we go, and then they go to overtime, no one scores, then don't they go? Huh? In the NHL, don't they go to
0: not in playoffs shootout? In oh. regular season So, so yeah so in, so in hockey And I'm not going to sit And see This is People are going I'm not even checking The comments I'm not <laughs> even going to check I'm not even going to look because People are going to say S- Football Like soccer You know Football is It's the biggest sport In the world And what do you know And the t- proud tradition and, and, and hockey is like Number four in the U.S. And what do you even I get it Sure It is obviously, as they say, the beautiful game, Mm -hmm. um, if you don't mind all the diving and crying and whining and all that kind of (laughs) stuff. But but uh, are we talking about hockey again? Oh, Mm? I mean, well, no, but that's not even that's not even you go "Mm," if you make a good point. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> not not a totally toned-deaf ridiculous one No, I'm just kidding uh, Well, I'm actually not kidding But um, hockey, you know, they, they say hockey players I mean, you take a look Everybody thinks that national football Everybody thinks that football players are so tough When they take these big hits Look at the quarterback He stayed in the pocket And he took the hit to make the play Hockey players, they're going like 35 kilometers an hour Crashing into each other full speed There's no comparison and then people are going to say, well, what about Aussie rules football and rugby? And those people are bananas. Yeah, I was just going to say, that like, what about we'll we'll rugby? <laughs> so, you know. Um, but uh, but um, so you so uh, soccer, like in hockey, the regular season, yeah, we got to wrap it up. We got to get it wrapped up. So they'll go into overtime, right, with fewer players on the ice, five minutes. If there's not a break in the tie, if somebody doesn't win penalty shots, Bob's your uncle. Anybody know the root of Bob's your uncle? Um rhetorical question don't actually care uh meantime in the playoffs, they recognize that pace of play and momentum and all of these things are so important, so there is no way that they would ever determine a championship based on penalty shots it's just it it's it, it just wouldn't work that way it's just not mm-hmm. the way it goes. so in playoffs, it's like full periods, five players on the ice you know as opposed to you know blah, you know so there it goes and i that's that's my personal preference, but you can have games that go five overtime periods, yeah. Right, so you know, maybe it's I decisive guess decisive when you have the, the trade-off
2: when you have those kicks. Yeah, it's decisive.
0: Yeah, yeah. It, it, well, yeah. Um, okay, you you said it with confidence, but I disagree,
2: and that's okay. It's deci- we don't, I mean I guess don't it, have it is to agree on it is, everything. It is it
0: is decisive. Yeah, but, but that's not the the that's not the criteria that you want it because it's decisive. You want it to be like legitimate.
2: But if it's going back and forth and back and
0: forth for five overtime. But if penalty... Yeah, yeah. Because that's the beauty of it. Because one quick screw-up can... Boom! Game's over. Like that's it. And it was like, Ugh! and like you know, you you can't go you can't go pee or top or grab another beer out of the fridge. You can't you can't leave. You're captivated. You're t- anything could happen. That's just like, that's like the penalty that's, shots. That's no, penalty. just like
2: the penalty shot. Though. No, anything if, can happen. Just one tiny screw up, and boom! But game that's not over. the point.
0: You didn't you didn't play the game. If if it's gonna be penalty shots to decide the championship, the whole game should just be penalty shots. <laughs> penalty shots are such a small part of the game. Well, they're they're the
2: strikers when the strikers go in and are going to take a like when they're full, like the full squad is on the field and they're playing. It's just like a microcosm of the game anyways.
0: And it negates the contributions of other important players that are not the strikers. I'm serious. Is a midfielder or a defender any less important than the striker on the team? Absolutely not. So, but they're not, I mean, when it comes to penalty kicks or free kicks or whatever, like they may, maybe they get to participate at some point, but it doesn't, it takes away their contribution. If I'm a, if I'm a shutdown specialist, uh, I have contributed to my team's success or getting my team to that point as much as it, as the strikers have. Right. Mm. At least in theory, at least that's what the coach tells them. Um, they may not make the most money, but they're there because they have contributed an important part. And then when it gets to penalty kicks, it just seems to me to be like a, like a gimmick. It just seems gimmicky. Okay. But I'm like the only one taking a big crap on the Euro right now, because obviously everybody's super excited. Well, uh, all
2: the Italian fans are. Italian
0: fans are excited. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. I heard that Little Italy... I mean, little you know, the Little Italy's in every city in the world were going bananas yesterday. Yeah. So congratulations. Big shout out to Italy. And I don't even know what to say about the... I mean, the racism stuff, just to me. I mean, aside from condemning it and talking about how ridiculous it is, I just don't even... You know, I'm trying to wrap my mind around a a a fan of a team or an athlete or or what have you that can pivot like that, that the the true colors show through. I mean, first of all, I'm sure that people commenting and what I've just said will say, well, they're not true fans. Sure. But like to me, I just think (laughs) it's just it's just what i going to say that, you know, most people are going to are going to agree 100 percent. And the people that disagree, beat it. Right? Like, there's not a lot of room for discussion here on like, what's an appropriate level of criticism to level at a player that misses a penalty? Like, really? Uh, I, I guess I, I, you know, it's probably important for every single person to to take action in their own way to to condemn it, to talk about it, to talk to their kids about it. But I just that kind of stuff to me is just. It, it, it's 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 partly disheartening and, 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 and it's partly just infuriating, right? You can let us know your thoughts. We always want to know what you're thinking over the weekend. You know, a lot of people have been processing news out of some hospitals here. This story out of Alberta um, where communities like Lacombe, Edmonton and others have seen announcements at least two Alberta hospitals have announced that they'll be temporarily closing uh, 17 hospital beds. Um, this announcement, uh, this one was made uh, yesterday. People are talking about the Royal Alexandra and, of course, the Lacombe General Hospital. Um, they say staffing levels need to be stabilized. Staffing levels need to be stabilized so they can open up these beds again. Well, it prompted uh, a physician out of Edmonton at the Royal Alexandra Hospital, an internal medicine doc at the Royal Alexandra Hospital, um, to tweet yesterday. And she started talking about what she described as health care system collapse um dr nija bakshi kind enough to join us this morning doctor thanks so much for making time for us do we have you are you at the hospital right now is that where you are i am yes how
3: how
0: how what sort of a, a stage or what level do things have to get to to have you uh, essentially laying this out on twitter for everybody to to start to process i mean how did it get to this point
3: well I, you know i have um a unique perspective in that I do a lot of administration and and leadership work here at the Alex, so I tend to get a lot of information as it's happening or maybe just before it gets released into the media. And, you know, we kind of expected this to happen. We knew that through COVID, um, we were having a lot of burnout as we were going through the wave. Uh, and so even during the third wave, we were having difficulty with staffing both physician and nursing. Um, so this is not entirely unexpected um, that we were going to see high level of call outs and burnout and people just taking stress and medical leave. What I don't think we realized or really fully appreciated was how uh, much volume we were going to see from patients themselves coming in And how the nursing shortages and physician shortages were going to create this perfect storm of not being able to cope.
0: Not being able to cope is is a hell of a thing to hear a physician say. Uh, What does that actually mean at the hospital? Where do you see it?
3: Yeah. So, you know, it's a, it's a one big system, right? So we see it everywhere. Let's take, for example, if we have nursing shortages on the wards, on the inpatient wards where we admit patients to. So what that translates to is potentially closing beds on the wards because we don't have enough nurses to staff those rooms, which then means we can't admit patients to that ward, for example, which means those patients now I will stay in emerge uh, as admitted inpatients in emergency room, which means now those emergency beds are not available for EMS to offload, which means now EMS needs to hold on to those patients until there's a safe space for that patient, which now translates to less EMS on the roads, being able to respond to emergency calls. So it's one big, giant, complex system that if you have enough nursing call outs on a particular ward or a particular program, The snowball effect down to what it means for patients calling 911 is tremendous. And so I think we've seen this in the past when we see surges, you know, in influenza season during COVID, but we've never seen this level um, this summer. I think last week we had uh, the highest number of EMS calls that we've ever had uh, around July 1st, July 2nd uh, in the Edmonton zone. And and part of that problem was because EMS could not offload patients because we didn't have patients in. <laughs>
0: What what do you think is? I mean, can, do you? Have, this is going to be obviously your pure speculation, but but when it comes to these nursing shortages, what do you, what do you think is behind it? Based on your observation, or what are people telling you? What are nurses telling you?
3: Uh, people are people are burnt out. A lot of nurses are taking medical leave, uh, stress leave, and some nurses are just walking away from bedside nursing. Um, it is incredibly challenging to work in a system where you are constantly having to take care of more and more patients. The nursing to patient ratio is continuously changing. Uh, care models are changing to be able to adapt to the amount of staffing that we have, whether that's from uh, either uh, government-imposed uh, uh, wage reductions or if it's just simply from the way the hospital system is working in that moment. Uh, but we certainly cannot keep up with the demand of what we're seeing in terms of patient care. And I think the other piece of this is that we are seeing more and more acute patients. And that's what kind of prompted my tweet yesterday is is that the amount of acuity and the sick patients that we're seeing is tremendous. And it's something that I don't think we've seen this much before outside of COVID times. Um, And... So an average healthcare worker, whether you're a physician, nurse, pharmacy, allied health, you know, there's a limit to how much a human being can handle. And I think we're seeing that the collective exhaustion of the last 18 months is resulting in people saying, I'm done. I can't do it.
0: What do you think? I mean, if you were to start, you know, devising a solution as best you could. I I know a lot of people are talking about the you know the 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 messaging from Alberta's finance minister a while ago about about uh, you know a three percent wage rollback, and I think people are rightfully pointing out that you know the timing was interesting. I think some of the messaging around it was was a little bit uh, questionable. You know about you know people have been lucky to keep their jobs through this pandemic, which is is a hell of a thing to say to healthcare workers, Uh, but. Uh, people will also say, well, hang on, though, this this, you know, they're negotiating in public in, in the same way that the United Nurses of Alberta are negotiating in public. And and while both sides potentially may see, I don't know, zero percent increase on the new contract, the government's going to say three percent rollback. The nurses are going to say they want five percent or whatever, and then they'll meet in the middle. I mean, there's there's the politicking of public negotiating. Right. So there's that which sort of certainly I would imagine adds fuel to the fire around this conversation. But assuming we're not just talking about contract resolution uh, what other supports do you think need to be introduced to address this what What you talk about is uh, could you know potentially being a collapse
3: mm-hmm yeah, I think I think number one, it, 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 as simple as an acknowledgement, right, an acknowledgement of what we have all gone through in the last little while here, an acknowledgement of what is actually happening, right? So when we talk about collapse, I'm talking about the, the staffing having to call every single day, every single hour of the day, begging people to come to work, asking nurses, asking physicians, asking healthcare workers to come and help relieve the pressure. I think some sort of acknowledgement, whether that's from the government or from media, would be would go a long way to say, Hey, we actually see that this is a problem. There's, there's a serious issue here. We can't stop patients from coming into hospital. We don't want to stop patients from coming into hospital. We want patients to know that they will get the care that they need. But I, I think there seems to be a disconnect between what we hear in media to what is actually happening, where, uh, when you come into the hospital, People look tired. People look uh, exhausted and stressed out, and they're they're not performing the way that they should be. So, some sort of acknowledgement for that. I think that there's been uh, not enough support for healthcare workers through COVID from an emotional and mental health perspective. Uh, there's a reason that we are seeing so much mental health callouts or so much stress leave uh, because people don't know where to go for support. People don't know how to access those supports without feeling like they're going to be uh, challenged for that. Uh, I agree with you. I think that the public nature of contract negotiation is going to lend to always two sides to this. And I think that you know, the nuances of that is not something that I even know enough about to comment on, but I think that messaging is really, really important. When people are down and there's messaging that we're going to take away, that always creates more stress. And it recreates already this, this idea that we are not worthy in the government's eyes, we're not uh, being recognized or appreciated.
0: Can I can I ask? uh, I mean, you know, I referenced the, um, you know, these uh, accounts, Twitter accounts we've seen and and how over the last 18 months or so, it seems like the, you know, the physicians and and, and in many cases, educators, nurses uh, that we've seen putting it out there publicly is is to me, uh, I I haven't seen it before, like to this degree. Um, I haven't seen professionals um, you know, let alone doctors um, with their name from their official accounts really putting out. I mean, they're pulling the curtain back and it's, it's been remarkable. Um, what's the last year and a half been like for you personally? I mean, what's been the impact of this pandemic on you
3: um, it's been it's been frankly terrible. I mean, I think it's been terrible for everybody. But I, you know, my position here at the Alex, I worked very closely with the operations teams to create the COVID unit here. And I ended up uh, working, I think the most in Edmonton, I think we calculated 117 days on the COVID unit, uh, not consecutively, but over the last uh, 16 months. So alone, clinically alone, that was very challenging. But I think the idea of responding to ongoing pressures and stresses is something that, you know, healthcare leaders have done for for decades, it's not a new thing but not to this extent. And so personally, um, it's been exhausting. I was diagnosed with PTSD this year. Um, I started seeking help for that. And I think that, that that impetus has helped me to to speak out. And that's, I think, given me the more of the power to speak out to say, I know that my colleagues are going through the same thing. I have so many nurses and physicians come up to me privately and say, thank you for talking about this because that's what we're feeling, but we're, we've been afraid to. And I think what we're seeing on Twitter and what we're seeing on social media, where physicians and healthcare workers are speaking out I think it's great. I think the public needs to know what's happening. They need to see what's happening from our perspective. A lot of what we're dealing with is probably things that we've probably been dealing with for decades. COVID has just been that straw on the camel's back that has really pushed it forward into the limelight. Um,
0: I've not seen this, so I don't know if, I I mean, I'm not questioning uh, Karen here uh, on our live chat. She's tuned in. I I didn't see this comment by Alberta's health minister, but she says we need Minister Shandro. Uh, to stop gaslighting, saying that staffing shortages are due to nurses and doctors taking summer holidays. I don't know that the health minister did say that. I haven't seen that clip. Um, But if he did indeed make that assertion, doctor, do you think that that's does that sound like a, a viable reason? Does that sound like that could be accurate? Is this maybe just summer vacations?
3: no we take we've taken summer vacations forever you know people go on holidays we plan for that we make contingency plans for that this is not summer holiday you know this is this is leave this is stress leave this is medical leave in my outpatient clinic i am constantly signing uh, letters for healthcare professionals who are just done and who can't perform who are getting triggered by every uh, code or 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 sick patient in the hospital so no this isn't just summer vacation
0: um Erica says this announcement of bed closures comes within days of the province attempting to roll back nurses wages the chess match between the province and healthcare workers is going to be epic Um, Other people are talking about whether or not nurses will strike or cross. Gina says nurses aren't being supported by administration, says the system was in trouble before COVID, but COVID's amplifying it now. Is that a fair assessment, doctor? The system was in trouble before? I mean, I know in your tweet you even talk about you said, you know, we've got an aging population and I think you described it as archaic infrastructure, if I remember correctly. It's not as if this is all just due to COVID.
3: No, it's not. I mean, we, you know, I can speak from my hospital, the Royal Alexandra Hospital is is quite old. And, and even just from a physical infrastructure, we have not been able to keep up with the number of patients that come through our, our emergency department, uh, the, the aging population. COVID did amplify it due to the isolation concerns and the infection prevention control concerns. Um, but yes, this, this, this has not been a, this is not a new thing. I think COVID has amplified it because we haven't gotten a break. I think previously the, the usual coping mechanism, of taking a little bit of a break, taking a bit of a holiday, finding, um, you know, the, the backup reserves of the casual nurses to help to help fill those positions. We did it. It, it was still stressful. And I, and I remember very clearly uh, influenza seasons being being this stressful, not knowing how we're going to staff these extra units. But now it is consistent. It is always happening. And I think COVID certainly did amplify that.
0: OK, so w- when it comes to what the public needs to know or the public needs to do from or here, I think a lot of people are are bracing themselves um for you know i mean wherever this these contract talks go uh, the implications could be very significant first of all where's your head at with that i'm not asking you to comment on the negotiations i'm not asking you to comment on the deal i'm not asking you to speak on behalf of nurses but Is there some I mean, do you have some trepidation about what the next number of months could look like in that context and the implications for I mean, this matters to every single person uh, in the region. This matters to people that, you know, may either be knowing or, or maybe not realizing that they may need the hospital, including the ER in months to come.
3: Yeah, I think so. I, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think I'm very concerned about what it means clinically for patients that are coming in. Um, you know, we will we will always try to provide the best that we can, but but ultimately it is a numbers game, right? How many how many nurses do you have and how many patients do you have and what kind of care can we provide? And I'm very concerned about how stretched we are going to be to provide the level of care that we want to provide. I will never um, lower my standard of care, but what does that actually look like in delivery? What, what does that look like in actually being able to get patients the stuff that they need, the tests that they need, the the management that they need. And so I guess I'm, I'm, my concern really is what is the clinical outcome going to be? We already know, even if you take away the the concerns with nursing, we already know that post-pandemic we are bracing ourselves to see a lot of chronic diseases that have decompensated. We see a lot of missed cancer diagnosis or delayed cancer diagnosis. The, the, our opiate use disorder and opiate withdrawal um, concerns are quite high. So just clinically alone with what we're seeing, it's, it's something that we've never seen before. Now you add in the people component Into that, that do we have enough providers? And I don't know that we're going to have enough providers. And that's when I talk about collapses. I don't know how we are going to manage this, and what are we, what are we going to see as the fallout? Is it going to be uh, bad patient outcomes? You know, I don't know, but that's what I'm concerned about.
0: I, I I'm gonna be honest about something. You 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 just shared something big with us, and it and it kind of like it's been it's been sort of washing over me for, for the last five minutes. I hope you don't mind me circling back. It's it's really it's none of my business, but but I I just I, I really want to hear. Um, I mean, you, you shared with us that you were diagnosed with PTSD this year, and that you first of all that you've been um talking to people about it, which is amazing. You know that people are look up to you, and and obviously that's a powerful um uh, statement to 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 of course you know be looking after yourself in that sense your own self-care and also communicating to other people that that's a healthy thing to do um was this was this related to COVID-19 I feel I have mixed feelings about even asking about this but but is it related to COVID-19 and, and if so I mean you're obviously not alone in that front I mean I think that this is something that we're going to learn more about with our frontline health workers and others essential workers that haven't left the job if anything they've been working way more over the past year and a half
3: yeah, it, it completely. I mean, I think you know, I, I don't know if you've ever been to counseling or people have been to counseling. You you open a huge can of worms when you do that. So, I don't know that now knowing what I know, that's all COVID, but certainly COVID was a trigger, and certainly, I. Sp- spent uh, about three weeks in December on the COVID unit uh, in the peak of the second wave and um, the amount of death that I saw the amount of um, uh, calls that I had to make to families it was it was too much and it, it got to the point where I was actually unable to function by uh, around Christmas time I had to rely on colleagues to come and kind of rescue me and say I, I just can't work anymore because I'm not functioning I'm apathetic uh, I became a physician that I didn't want to become which was one that was robotic and, and couldn't handle the stress of, of seeing patients like this. So uh, it was a big wake-up call. Uh, I've been pretty open with my story. My husband was the one who finally said there's something going on with you. You're not yourself. We need to, we need to get help. Um, And I think that's been really powerful. I think it's also very, um, it's very sad. I think when I hear so many people saying that they feel the same way and that we all probably were suffering alone and and silently when we were all probably collectively feeling very similar things and it's still stigmatized. I've been received really well in, in my, my circle, in my professional circle, but um, I think overall, I think healthcare workers are still feeling very, very, Shameful or very scared of talking about this,
0: yeah, and I don't blame them. I really don't blame them. So the public can write letters uh, to mLAs and and can show solidarity, I think with healthcare workers. We saw it a lot more last March and April and May, people had, you know, placards and things in the windows of their homes. And I've seen lawn signs about supporting public health or supporting health workers. What really resonates with you as an individual? And, and, and maybe if you feel comfortable speaking on behalf of your colleagues, um, you know, members of the public right now, I mean, there's people that are writing in right now. Linda Ray says, thank you, doctor, for your courage and your commitment. Uh, I hope comments like that resonate with you. But But what can the public do?
3: yeah certainly you know the comments that we receive the replies i get on my twitter are, are just wonderful i don't always respond to every one of them but they're they they do help and i think you know individually physicians when we're talking to patients and patient families we know we're talking to families in a very stressful time in their lives we know that they are dealing with a lot but i think that that human understanding of we are trying our best and hopefully we are and i, I certainly hope that i can speak for all of my colleagues that we are trying our best we are we are doing what we can with what the system has provided us and Let me tell you, as a physician, there's nothing worse for me to say, like, I would love to do this, but the system doesn't allow me to because of X, Y, Z. And and that's really hard for us to say. And I think having that empathy and that understanding that, you know, we are trying, we are, you know, I am one physician and and our group is is strong and we have a loud voice, but ultimately it is government and ultimately it does trickle down. And so um, I think writing to MLAs, remembering all of this at the next vote, and and those are the really important things.
0: (laughs) Dr. Nidja Bakshi... Um I'll tell you now, just right as we're wrapping up this interview, just uh, people are starting to leave comments in our live chat. I don't know if you can see it or not, just heart or just red heart, just a whole bunch of hearts as comments. Um, so people are sending a lot of love your way, doctor. We're really grateful that you were able to take some time out of your morning to speak with us. Your advocacy, uh, is so very important, uh, as is the work that you've been doing, literally saving lives. Uh, and on behalf of this audience and on behalf of my fellow Albertans and, uh, fellow Canadians, uh, to you and your colleagues an enormous Thank you. Oh,
3: thank you. And thank you for
0: having me on. Yeah, you bet. You can uh, follow the good doctor, Dr. Bakshi, by uh, you check out Sarah Hoyles uh, every single morning from our official Twitter account at Real Talk RJ uh, sends out the guest lineup. And that's a great way for you to, to connect with. And, and even in some circumstances, follow up with the people that you've seen here on the show. Uh, I saw a comment from Emma that said, you want to talk about Emma said, you want to talk about infrastructure? You want to talk about infrastructure deficits in hospitals? Emma says, when, when, uh, when I was in labor at the Misericordia, uh, another hospital in Edmonton, she says all the elevators were broken, so I had to walk up the stairs to the maternity ward. Uh, <laughs> which is, jeez. Uh, yeah. Um, so that's a, I, I bet you if we opened up the floor, Hmm. And ask people to share their stories with us On what's your aging infrastructure story Or or what's your nightmare story I heard a story about a fella uh, This was just yesterday Who uh, thought he was having a heart attack um, Turned out he was right uh, Went to one hospital And basically was told to like Have a seat over there And we'll get to you when we can Was so annoyed at what happened And was so annoyed at the fact That he was leaving there And he's like Checking his phone and he's pretty Sure that he's reading all the Symptoms of a heart attack and he's Pretty sure he's having a heart Attack he goes back to the triage, and This I don't want to this is I'm Not dumping this on whoever it was In triage Mm. right you never know what Factors are at play maybe it was Staff shortages maybe it was bed Shortages I don't know but he gets In his truck and drives to a Different hospital he has to drive To a different hospital wild mid Heart attack like not every heart Attack is the one that just takes You down sure enough Within hours, he had multiple stints put in. He was, he, he was having a heart attack hmm. uh, and was unable to get in. I mean, people, people have these these stories. It always looks good on paper, doesn't it? Well, maybe it doesn't, but it can look good on paper to like shave a little bit here and shave a little bit there. And I never want to be in a position where you adopt a position and say, we can't find deficiencies that's not the job of government the job of government is to find efficiencies and is to budget properly but it's also to meet the needs of the population and provide adequate care or provide adequate services whether that's at a municipal level plowing roads or getting sidewalks cleared or whatever it is at a provincial level health and education at a federal level things i mean we could talk about all kinds of things and finding that balance is so important but if but if you start to see the real world real life implications of unhealthy relationships between politics and people if you start to see evidence of inadequate supports for workers and i'm not just talking salary then that starts playing out in this circumstance and things like bed closures in emergency rooms that's something that should concern absolutely everybody
2: I do, and we spoke about this last time we were, you know, exploring this topic, is the idea that this is an argument for privatization. Maybe. And the thing that I really struggle with is, yes, I hear that the infrastructure is getting older, um, but that does not, to me, that's not an argument for privatization. Yeah. I think it's, that means it's an argument for investment and I truly think that, you know, when I'm paying, (sighs) I just saw a tweet, someone being like, when anyone says, starts a comment by saying, I'm a taxpayer, you know, they're about to be an asshole. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. It's from uh, Demetri
0: Martin, right? Well, I mean, everybody, I mean, everybody's a taxpayer, right? Public servants are taxpayers. Fair enough. So
2: with that in mind, as a taxpayer, (laughs) I just, I feel like, what are the things that I hold the most dear and the thing that I want my tax dollars to go towards education Mm -hmm. and health
0: yeah Gina says triage is the hardest assignment in the ER I bet it is I bet it is Mark says it took guts for Dr. Bakshi to come on this show thanks so much to her for speaking truth to power keep the comments coming friends uh we'll keep an eye on it uh I was keeping an eye on the Friesen Brothers Instagram page And check this out I would not have known this Unless I was following them on Instagram And I encourage you to do the same thing Check this out For a limited time only The three cheese semolina sourdough Is back at the bakeries At Friesen Brothers 16 locations across the province of Alberta This is part of their seasonal sourdough program you're like, they have a seasonal sourdough program. You remember we put it out, we asked, we we asked, we just threw it out to the universe. We were wondering, I wonder, I wonder if their sourdough starters have names. We're joking. Remember like one one of their head bakers gets in touch with us and is like, yeah, we do. Yeah, we name our starters because these sourdough starters, I mean, this like they're free, creatures. Freezing Brothers sourdough is at it is at the next level. Yeah. It's at the next level. So it's granite, panano, parmesan, cheddar, and fresh Asiago cheese in this three cheese semolina sourdough at Friesen. I can't even, why are we even talking about this without having it hot, fresh, and ready in front of us? This is torture. It is, truly. You can go check out the seasonal sourdough program at Friesen Brothers, 16 beautiful stores across the province of Alberta, Alberta grown, Alberta owned for more than 65 years. Also big shout out to the team at Local Waste. Local Waste Services has been in the game for more than a quarter century, building strong business relationships, with the small independent ma and pop shops all the way up to the big guys, their bin removal and waste management services are one thing. Sure, they do a good job. They do a great job. But the customer service is where they shine. You talk to anybody that's done business with Local Waste, we hear from people. Some of you have just taken your business there and you're telling us you're already impressed. If you're locked into a bad contract, the team at Local Waste will work to get you out of it so you can start fresh with a locally owned business that cares about the success of yours. You can learn more at localwaste.ca. Well, this was a fascinating piece. Uh, Andrew Leach with an opinion piece at cbc.ca published just a few days ago on July 9th, where he he was commenting on the 50% ownership stake that the Alberta government has taken it's it's you by the way it's your ownership stake if you're listening from the province of alberta in the troubled sturgeon refinery just about a half hour northeast of edmonton it extends the deal by 10 years the government's position on this is that it's going to save taxpayers two billion dollars over the life of the project to buy in dr andrew leach an energy economist kind enough to join us live this morning good to see you again welcome back to the show Thanks for having me back. This is it. When we say the the, the troubled Sturgeon Refinery, I mean, I think for some people, it, this is is absolutely infuriating. Uh, for a lot of other people, I think it flies underneath the radar. I'm not sure a lot of people know all about it. Can, can you bring us up to speed on the story of this and how we sure, got to sure. this point? Premier Stellmac the whole nine yards.
4: Yeah, there's two pieces. I would say the, the refinery itself and then the government contract with the refinery that are almost two separate parts of the story. So this all has its roots in the Royalty Review, the 2008 Stellmac Royalty Review, which recommended we do more processing of bitumen in Alberta. And in response to that, the government went out and, and effectively sought bids, ended up signing a contract to pay a refinery to, well, pay them essentially to build a refinery and process bitumen that we'd collect in royalties from oil sands projects. And the idea of this contract was sort of like you do for a power plant in other provinces or whatever. Uh, they get uh, an ability to get compensated for their rate of return on capital. They flow through their operating costs to the contract holder. And, you know, as, as long as they build their project on time and on budget, they're in a position to make a utility grade rate of return. The thing, you know, probably that was a as good as any government would have done. And there was a a really cross-partisan push for more processing. The the wheels come off this thing when in 2013, 14 costs of the refinery start escalating. The proponent who'd signed the contract to build it couldn't meet their requirements under the contract. So they wouldn't have gotten enough money from the contract to make it worthwhile for them privately to build a refinery and to run on that government contract. So the government jumps in and they renegotiate the deal. And they renegotiate the deal to say, well, wait a minute, that thing that was in there to protect taxpayers that will only compensate you for up to $5 billion to build this refinery, they said, we'll compensate you for however much it costs to build a refinery. And so great, consortium's now got a contract that can make the money overall, but they still don't have enough money to buy to pay their own share of the equity sort of their down payment to get in the game. And so we go a step further as our, our crown corporation, we loan them hundreds of millions of dollars so they can meet their obligations under the government contract. I can hear uh, probably Chris Labossiere at local ways yelling in the background on this, but, you know, we, we gave, loan them the money to stay in the game on this contract. And then of course the contract now with all of these extra costs is turning bitumen into diesel for 73 ish dollars a barrel, where the gap between those two products is never at that level or almost never at that level. And so it's a money losing contract. Government comes forward and says, you know what, this contract over its life is going to lose us two and a half billion dollars. That was the last estimate before this deal last week, last week they come in and say, well, we've bought the partners out of this contract for essentially $825 million. We bought ourselves a 50% stake in the other side of the deal. So we now own the refinery that owns this contract with the Alberta government, or we own half of the refinery that owns this contract with the Alberta government to process bitumen for the Alberta government at a loss. So when the minister says it's saving us dollars it's saving us dollars relative to that two and a half billion dollar loss that we got into with the whole renegotiation okay. so i know it's complex it's long story but it should be infuriating for every albertan
0: yeah well we we bring you on here because you take complex and difficult to understand things and and you make them understandable for us so that so that's why we're grateful that you're here this to me uh Sorry, I I know nothing about refining. I I really know nothing about uh, energy economics, but it sounds to me like the best way to save money is to shut it down like yesterday.
4: Well, we probably should have let it go into bankruptcy in 2013, 2014. That's what should have happened. We should have said, you know what? We have a contract with you that says we'll compensate you for up to $5 billion. You've blown it. So think of someone building you a house, right? Someone agrees to build you a house. You say, we've agreed that it's going to cost. $800,000 for this new infill house, et cetera. Then the contractor comes back to you and says, you know, we've actually, it's gonna cost us more like $1.6 million. So can you just, you know, up what you've promised to pay me and I don't have enough money to pay my contractors. So could you loan me a couple hundred thousand dollars so that I can make my own, make ends meet with my bank and my contractors. You're not just gonna nod and say, yes, you're gonna say, you know, we have an agreement if you can't stick to that agreement, then we're going to let that, you know, you're going to go into bankruptcy and I'm going to recover what I can out of the, the proceedings at the end of the day, especially if it's that outrageous, right, that we're going to double what we pay you.
0: So this might be a dumb question, but why is it losing money? Is it only based, I mean, is it, is it just based on on where energy prices are at right now? Is that it?
4: No, it's it's losing. So the refinery itself the the reason why the, the whole contract is underwater is because it costs so much to build. So it costs more than $10 billion to build. And so you think of spreading that over the number of barrels that it's going to process over its lifetime, there just isn't enough margin there to recover uh, the amount of dollars that have been spent on building it, and the dollars it will cost to operate. So if you if you look at what the government, for example, had committed to pay to process each barrel of bitumen, it was about $73 to process a barrel of bitumen. And the gap between bitumen and diesel has only been that large in those pl- times when we have really um, tight pipeline constraints. So for the last year and a half, for example, we've never touched that level in terms of the gap between bitumen and diesel. We crossed it a few times before that, sort of in 2017, 2018, the refinery would have been making money on a cash basis. And again, in 2019, when, you know, when everyone was yelling and screaming about differentials and the province was capping oil production, et cetera, then the refineries in the money. And that was what it was initially, or at least partly intended to be, was a little bit of, you know, create a a better market for bitumen, get some price discovery in the market. So we'll know what bitumen is worth. We're not going to get taken for a ride by the big oil sands producers. But what it's turned into is, is something that, uh, will only make money in the worst case scenario for Alberta.
0: Oh boy. So, we're, okay. We're going to get into your piece. Uh, is It takes a fascinating angle on it, on, on why the Jason's Kenny of the past would thunder over Alberta's bitumen boondoggle. But, but to be honest here, we also probably should point out that this, this is not on, I mean, it's not just on Kenny. It's not just on the UCP. I mean, how, how far back do you go? I mean, I see Ed Stelmack's name invoked here a whole bunch and, and I've seen a bunch of people, including you, using words like opaque to describe disclosures, the contract, what we know about this. I mean, is this, you know, I, I use the word with due thought and consideration. I mean, how shady do you think this whole thing is?
4: So I think you're hitting on two important points, right? This is something that's been going on. This particular contract has been going on since 2008, nine, essentially. And so the problem there was the government got really committed to an individual business. And it was not about the government being in the business of business. It's the government being in one business's business. And they were essentially betting on this one partnership to build a, to, deliver them, to, to deliver them a refinery. And that's what got them into trouble. And to me, that question of why did we end up making them that loan is one that should be in an inquiry. You know, why did we loan them those hundreds of millions of dollars to keep them in the game only to end up at a point where the minister for energy now Sonia Savage says our best option yeah. was to buy them out for hundreds of millions of dollars more and you know you think of the scale of that i was driving past the new, the new bridge they're building on, on Saskatchewan drive right now and that's a 5 million dollar project so i think we lose some of the you know think of what you could do infrastructure wise healthcare wise etc with those hundreds of millions of dollars and we're paying this to get out of a contract that we renegotiated, right? That's it. Wasn't that we uh, made a necessarily a bad bet? We walked in and bailed them out of going bankrupt, and then we end up paying them four hundred and twenty-five million dollars to get out of the game, which to me is is scandalous.
0: So this is. But you're
4: right. This isn't on. You know, this isn't on on Jason Kennedy's government. In fact, uh, you'll notice in my piece, I hope that I don't use the the parties at all. Yeah. Right. I, I talk about Premier Stelmach, but. This is something that we've seen. It's cross-partisan, unfortunately, and it's not just Northwest Redwater. It's the crude-by-rail deals that, that Premier Notley's government signed that we know nothing about, the equity participation deal in Keystone XL that we know very little about, that are all done in this opaque way, which is governments through that Alberta Petroleum Marketing Corp, Crown Corporation making really large bets, $100 million, billion-dollar-scale bets with what are effectively taxpayer-backing. Yeah. And we don't know anything about that. Uh,
0: so, you know, per your piece, uh, the government will pay four hundred twenty five million dollars. Right. To the Northwest Redwater Partnership, buying them out of the project. It's going to pay uh, Murray Edwards uh, CNRL. Uh, I shouldn't describe it as that. It's going to pay CNRL uh, four hundred million dollars. And in return, this this AmPack you described, Alberta Petroleum Marketing Corporation becomes a 50 percent. Owner of the refinery, which will be operated by Canadian Natural. I know you've taken issue with this Alberta Petroleum Marketing Corporation. As a matter of fact, you've put a lot at the feet at the feet of that corporation. I bet you the average Albertan, if you stopped people, you know what reporters call a streeter, if you went down to Stephen Avenue in Calgary, you walked Gates Avenue in Red Deer downtown and and, yeah. and, and just started talking to people and said, Tell me what you know about APMC, uh, I bet you I bet you one or two percent. Would even have a bit of a hot clue yeah and we've
4: we've had this for a long time because we we take royalties in in kind so for gas and oil we've done this really since the the nep or if not before where we took the oil itself and that the apmc if i re- recall correctly was created around that context where there was a little bit of a, a question of whether you could exempt some of these barrels from uh, taxation because they were provincial government property, So you could exempt them from, uh, the federal, the reach of federal government taxation, if it was the provincial government that owned the barrels. And so that's why we take the barrels, not the after tax cash. And then we could market the barrels and and uh, and sell them. And that's the, the role has expanded, and it's become, I think, really since this deal has become a little bit of a vehicle for governments to flow through these big investments. So that APMC handled the crude by rail, it handled the uh, pipeline contracts, uh, both on when the government had committed barrels to Energy East and committed barrels to Keystone XL. It was all done through that. And and so being a crown corp, it's one step further afield of the transparency requirements that would come of a um of a ministry doing this and i think our oversight over this corporation hasn't kept up with the scale of the bets that it's making if it's just taking in oil and selling that oil then that's one thing but when we're in the space of it making you know multi-billion dollar commitments to transportation contracts, to crude processing, etc., we need that higher degree of transparency. And that was why I was on with the the Jason's Kenny stuff, was he would have demanded exactly that, right? He would not have sat by and said, oh, sure, a $2 billion loss is the best we can do. Let's just, you know, or... Um, whatever the case may be, let's just nod and go on, that we gave them $400 million, no big deal, right? The, the Jason Kenney of the past would have been at the forefront saying, we need to see every bit of this paper. And he did uncrewed by rail when he was in opposition, right? He said, we need to know the details of the contract. It's not good enough to say, trust us. But yet, when we buy ourselves out of this contract, that's essentially what they did. They said, trust us, it's going to save us $2 billion. And we don't know anything about how they work that
0: out. Well, it's a lot easier to oppose than to govern. I think you and I will agree on that uh, to be sure. Sure. What would Jason's Kenny of past do and what might you agree with uh, with regards to the best way to manage this? What, What do you think the government should do with this?
4: I think what we need to see is back to the transparency, even at the beginning of this contract. The reason why I know so much about it is because the original contracts were posted in PDF form with a few little things blacked out on the APMC's website. That was not true for Crude by Rail, was not true for for Keystone XL. So we need to get back to at least that as a minimum where we have transparency of process. And on this particular deal, I I joked with Chris Varco at the the Calgary Herald that this might have been the right place for Steve Allen to do an inquiry because it would actually be right in his wheelhouse of forensic accountancy to say, what is the what were the root of this? Who profited from it and why? And, and, you know, you raise that specter of is there uh, is there something more to this than just a money losing business deal? And I, I think we should be asking this. Why was the government getting in the business of loaning private entities? hundreds of millions of dollars so that they could meet their
0: obligations to the government. That's, that's backwards. This, I mean, it, it's, it's a difficult, uh, the Alberta, no Alberta politician, uh, can, can allow, uh, major bankruptcies and, and belly ups to happen, uh, in oil and gas. It, it just seems to me to be, the, it's, it's the one industry that gets protected, uh, above any other and and I and I don't think that the argument is always made, or at least not made in in compelling fashion publicly, uh, why that's the case. I mean, you have the same people that will pile on bailouts for airlines. I mean, if you, if you even mention the word "bombardier," I would imagine in front of some people or in some boardrooms, people's heads will explode. Yet at the same time, it's somehow palatable. To to be throwing more than billion at a billion at dollars at a pipeline that was, I mean, basically, let's call it what it was. It was a bet on a, on a second Trump term. That's what it was, uh, because it was an ill-fated pipeline. If you believed that Joe Biden was going to become president, um, we're willing to throw billions of dollars at rail contracts. We'll throw billions of dollars at the refinery. There there, there are huge concessions made to an industry that has been massive. Let's be honest. Let's not let's not mm-hmm. let's not undersell the amazing contributions that the oil and gas industry has made to the Canadian economy, to the Alberta economy, to Alberta jobs, to families, et cetera. Uh, but there's no other industry that, that sees the government go to bat like this one. I mean, the politics of this have to be discussed.
4: Yeah, you know, and this is a little bit separate from some of the other things that we do, but it is important to keep in mind that, you know, we, we've done a lot of things the municipal taxes in the small rural communities right now, right? We're actually, we've basically... Allowed companies to not pay their municipal taxes during the downturn. We've made it such that you know, for landowners, uh, I know you're you're often talking uh, talking to the uh, rural rural constituents. A lot of those landowners in rural Alberta have abandoned wells, orphan wells sitting on their land that they're not getting paid. They're not getting paid their due, et cetera. And we you know we talk about um, that sort of Alberta culture but it seems to end when we get to tough times in the oil patch where we're not willing to say you know what you have to pay your debts you know what you have you you made a commitment to us now you have to honor it and but i don't think it you know it, it's not everybody and we shouldn't paint the industry with with one broad brush it's yeah. that we're not prepared to put in the measures to say you know what you're a bad actor. The fact that you're in oil and gas doesn't make you not a bad actor. It makes you something we should be worried about, and it, you know, puts the entire industry at risk. And this one is, I think, just a little bit different because it was, you know, the government trying to respond to a political trend. It has, in some ways, some things in common with, you know, the the uh, the propane processing deals that were done under under Rachel Notley's government and again under Kenny's government where we've decided we want a slightly different type of business activity, and we're gonna pay whatever we have to do to get it. And you know, to me, we, we just need to be really careful with governments getting into those kind of deals, because then as you say, they're politically tied to does it work, right? There's so many people, myself included, saying, you're never gonna make money on a refinery. You're never gonna make money on a refinery. And so when this thing got into trouble, they're facing a huge amount of egg on their face if they let it go bankrupt, or they can do something in the background, which 17 accountants and a couple of econ professors will know what they're doing and will scream from the rooftops and no one will care. Yeah, And so they pick that second one.
0: Huh. Um, we've, we've got so many good questions. I want to respect your time and, and, and our show is moving fast here, uh, professor, but I, I just, you know, there are, there's some really great, I mean, Linda's wondering if Aimco, the Alberta investment management corporation fits into this project at all is to your knowledge. Does it
4: not that I know of, Yeah. Uh, but I don't know who's holding shares in, uh, in APMC Okay. Or not in APMC, sorry, in Northwest Redwater.
0: Okay. And Rhythmus has a good question. I wanted to wrap with, with, with a question similar. So we'll, we'll make it kind of a two parter um Rhythmus wonders are there other benefits to refining locally that somehow could make the costs or let me jump in and say the losses palatable like maybe geopolitical benefits uh, let me tag a follow-up on there which is what does this do to the future of any other potential refining initiatives or projects down the line has, has this killed all chance of that do you think and maybe for good reason
4: Yeah. You know, I I think there are, there were certainly some side benefits and I'm, I'm careful about this. This is not why we built it, but the timing of the construction of this happened to coincide with the, the big downturn we saw in 2015, 16. So some of the buffer that Edmonton and region had in terms of employment during that, that downturn, the first oil price crash in 15 came from the construction of this refinery. So while that's not why we should do it, it was one of the consequences of having having done it. In terms of the geopolitics or what have you of refined product markets, this is just too small. right? It's, it's, it's 50,000 barrels a day. It's not really going to move the dial or 77,000 barrels a day, however you measure it. But it's not really going to move the dial on North American refined product markets. So for me, I think the market's pretty good at figuring out how much crude is worth and how much refined products are worth in different places. And if we start thinking we should have refining here, what we're essentially saying is we should have cheap crude here. And as the owners of, you know, hundreds of billions or trillions of barrels of crude, the last thing we should want is to be putting our hands up and saying, hey, if you want cheap crude, come here to get it. We should be hoping for a world where crude here is expensive, not where crude here is cheap.
0: Great point. Dr. Andrew Leach, uh, an energy and environmental economist. He's got a PhD in economics from Queen's University and associate professor at the Alberta School of Business at the University of Alberta. And as you keep reminding me, technically not a lawyer because not called to the bar but a graduate of law school, right? Definitely not. Master's in law at the U of A. There you go. (laughs) Thanks for this, Doc. It's always good to see you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you bet. You can uh, give Andrew a follow. On Twitter, you can check out andrewleach.ca. And of course, you can read his piece at cbc.ca. Uh, thanks for the great questions. Real talkers, uh, those on the and people are making some great points. Um, there's, I mean, oftentimes parallel conversations going on about people's appetites for things like refining and different government investment. And I mean, I'm fascinated and, I, and I'm very interested to hear more of our audience members are, you know, the, this podcast nation and everybody that is watching this on YouTube, how you're feeling about the government investing in this i mean can you use the word invest i mean the government i mean i guess technically it is an investment but this is a this is a tough one when you hear it laid out like that when you hear some of some of the words that the good doctor is using there right i mean shady was was one that i came up with but people are talking there's a real lack of transparency here uh andrew using words like opaque Um, You can let me know what you think You know the watchers tuned in right now says Scandalous that word scandalous Is a classy way of Saying dirty Uh, Fair enough you said you, you referenced, you invoked the word zeitgeist the other day, and I told you it's one of my favorite. I think scandalous is another one. It just the way it rolls off the tongue. It's scandalous. Scandalous. That uh, from Dr. Leach. Uh, the teams at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge want to remind you that it's not too late to either check them out online. You can follow the link on the sponsors tab at ryanjesperson.com, or, of course, you can go browse their showrooms, their lots, their beautiful new location in St. Albert. Just an absolutely stunning store, and then of course Sherwood, uh, Sherwood Dodge, right there uh, as you're heading east out of town on the Yellowhead. Uh, double the inventory because they can share the inventory. It's uh, the dealerships are. Uh, part of the same family and that's why people have been guaranteed to find what they're looking for despite the fact that inventory levels across the country right now when it comes to jeeps when it comes to ram trucks basically when it comes to everything they're relatively low sherwood and st albert dodge has you covered you can check them out online today a big shout out to the teams at the dairy queens of northwest edmonton and sherwood park i happen to Run into somebody yesterday serendipitously. It was my first meeting, my very first meeting with them. Our paths crossed. They shouted out, Jaspo! And I looked over, they said, hey, what's up? I said, what's up? And I realized they were kind of waving, but they were waving with their hands full. What do you got there? They got a bag of DQ. I said, you know, we were a distance apart. I I said, is that from one of the Dairy Queens of North? And they said, what do you think? So I don't know whether it was Palisades, New Mayo, Newcastle, Westmont, White Gardens, or Baseline Road, but they had their hands full of, look to me, like you know, cheeseburgers. And, and of course, I could tell one. I mean, it was, it was very clear. what They had a peanut buster parfait with them. I, I would know that from a mile away. That's one of the personal favorites. That's one of the Jespo favorites. Did it have
2: any rich hot fudge
0: on it? Any what? Rich hot fudge! <laughs> it sure did, Sarah Hoyles. Great question. At the Dairy Queens <laughs> of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. Okay, so, you know, yeah, I mean, we're talking to, um, you know, physicians and we're talking to energy economists and, uh, you know, but but, I mean, when it comes to Adventure Cats, what have we done for you lately? I'm so excited. I'm so excited right now to meet a full-blown, absolutely undeniable celebrity here on the show and his human companion. What a pleasure to welcome Gary the Adventure Cat and James easton to Real Talk. A very good morning to the both of you and thanks for being here. Good
1: morning. Thanks for having us on. This is Gary. He's probably not going to stick around uh for very long. I don't know if you can hear but he's a little bit unhappy with me.
0: Uh he's uh he, yeah, he doesn't love cuddling. So Is that right? He's kind of well, yeah. we just wanted to we just wanted to hear Gary on the record. And we've heard the meow. We've heard it there. Uh, James, this is uh, this is just an absolutely fascinating story. You have a you have a cat. Uh, you you, you uh, have a cat that's closing in on a half a million Instagram followers, uh, but perhaps even more impressive than that, Sam, you, you know, the exact video I'm going to talk about here. People are going to be listening to this on the podcast and, and they can follow Gary on, on Instagram. You have a cat that loves being in the water, which to me is, is almost equally as impressive. What makes Gary the adventure cat tick? This is remarkable.
1: He's uh yeah, he's a bit of a strange cat for sure. he's, he- I think his his favorite thing that we do is to go paddling. Uh, you can see him there. He, he just kind of sits on the front of our boat and and usually rocks rocks in the waves and falls asleep and has a nap. It's uh, I don't know, I feel like it's a pretty cat thing to do. Just soak up the sun and let someone else do all the work
0: but he's like but gary's not afraid we have a video of him walking in like look at this i've never he is in the water he's soaked and he's on a leash he's on a, on some sort of a rope i mean i've never I, I i thought that i thought the cats hated this kind of thing is this this guy this guy's wired a little bit differently
1: uh well so gary's always liked water that's why we tried paddling with him in the first place he uh you know whenever you you'd take a shower he'd he comes in and he's very curious and there's been more than once where i was pretty sure he was going to jump in with me uh so so given that we we decided to see if he'd enjoy paddling and he did he he took to it pretty quickly and uh and like i said now it's his his favorite thing that we do together uh the leash training took a little bit longer but it uh it was something we decided that if Gary wanted to be outside that he was going to have to learn to walk on a leash, just free roaming cats, uh, especially in Canmore don't last very long. there's a lot of things that would love a Gary sized snack. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, we, we worked up slowly and, and now he's pretty used to it. He's, he's happy to, to walk or, uh, he rides around a lot of my shoulders as well.
0: For people that are listening to this interview, not watching it, w- we want to paint some pictures here. We're seeing images from Gary's Instagram page. Uh, Great grams of Gary. Uh, he's he's hanging out by a, by a helicopter. He's hanging out by a snow cat. Uh, I mean, he's got like his custom life jacket. It appears as though he's got a custom parka. He's wearing snow goggles. Uh, how much how much training? does this require how much patience on your end or how much of it just he does he looks like a natural i mean just does he just it's it's mind-blowing
1: it it was it definitely takes a lot of patience uh you know we didn't start you didn't just toss toss gary in the backpack and hit the slopes and start skiing um No, we uh, we used to live in an apartment that opened into a courtyard and our door didn't latch very well. So it would blow open and Gary would escape. And so that's sort of what, when we started leash training him. And uh, we moved to Cammore shortly after that. It took a few weeks, I'd say maybe four or five weeks for him to get comfortable in the harness. He did the cat thing where you put the harness on and kind of flops over, freezes up. So once he got comfortable in the harness, he would start to explore a little bit around our, our front yard. You know, he, he really likes to eat grass, like I think all cats. And so the the incentive there was he could wander down and and eat eat the grass. James, and I have to that- I have to interrupt.
0: I have to interrupt. What's going on, What's going on around you right now? Is there? It, it would appear as though someone is in to steal the spotlight. Who's this? uh this is one of
1: our three dogs duke oh uh and you might hear our other dog douglas in the background yes and and uh, it, and, and, and chewing it, on a toy
0: uh, we do hear that and it's out the, the more the merrier uh this is a pet and family friendly show to well it's not always family friendly but but today it is and right now it is so you've got three dogs you've got one cat how does the power dynamic work in the house who's the boss two, two cats
1: oh two cats uh, Two cats. So I would say our other, well, so Duke is probably the the top of the food chain. And then our other cat, Carl, uh, is number two. And then from there, it's probably Doug. And then Marge, who's our third dog. And, And Gary's at the bottom.
0: So Gary's not even on the podium. Gary, is he shunned? In a way, like he th- he's this he's, big. He's, 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 he's got he's four hundred thousand uh, followers. He's a big deal. He's kind of walks with a bit of a strut around Canmore and surrounding area. And then he gets home, and the pets are like, you know, his, his furry family members are Gary's,
1: like, know your role. Gary's pretty. He's not very good at sticking up for himself.
0: <laughs> okay, um, he he gets pushed around a little bit. He gets pushed so. around. Hey, that can be the price of celebrity sometimes is, you know, you've yeah. got some, sometimes you got to take your lumps um, every once yeah. in a while. He, the universe kind of put him in front of you. I mean, you, uh, I don't know how you feel about the word, but you rescued him, didn't you?
1: Well, so my partner rescued him. Um, she adopted him from the Calgary Maine Society. Uh, wasn't really looking for a cat, but both Gary and Duke had a, a very similar injury at the same age. They both uh, received a procedure called a femoral head ostectomy, so they they removed the head of the femur. Um, so they're they're sort of missing their left hip, uh, both of them. So she couldn't turn down a, a cat that matched her dog, and um, so yeah. Then I met her, and and now I've become the, the strange cat man who <laughs> goes skiing with his cat.
0: But you're also a guy that, I mean, hey, we talk to Linda Huang all the time from the Edmonton International Cat Festival. And and, and I know you know that like this, this is this is uh, once you have a cat or an animal, a celebrity pet, if you will, of this status, um, you've got, I mean, I- I rabid fans. As soon as we introduced you on the show, our live chat just went nuts. You know, people are saying this is our favorite Instagram account. We can't believe that Gary the Adventure Cat is on Real Talk. No offense, James. I'm sure that some people are pleased that you are here as well. Um, but but Gary's cameo certainly. I'm a-
1: I'm, pr- I'm pretty I'm pretty used to it. Yeah. You, so this is our other actually friendly cat, Carl. Oh, Carl!
0: And so is Carl. Like, yeah. does what's how many? Carl, Carl's not even on Instagram. I mean, what, you know, what's so special no, about Gary? No, Carl.
1: Yeah. Well, Carl. Carl's older and has quite a few health issues, so he's Aww. not quite as adventurous as Gary. But uh, he is very cuddly, and he gets very jealous when I talk on Zoom. So. He has well, to butt his way in and make sure that I'm paying an, an appropriate amount of attention to him.
0: Well, I mean, Carl can hang out in your lap for the whole rest of this conversation, log more screen time than Gary. I mean, more time here on Real Talk, and then I mean, who's the real big celebrity then? At what point did you? At what point did you have an inkling? That you were on to something. I mean, when you started up this Instagram account, I mean, first of all, your photos are sp- like f- from a composition standpoint. they You know this. They're stunning. They're like amazing Thanks. photos. But at what point did you know that you were on to something?
1: Yeah, it's been I think the the first day that I thought like, wow, this like really blew up and it's, it's kind of funny now was, uh, I, I posted a photo on Reddit and it did fairly well. And so I gained about a thousand Instagram followers in one day and I was convinced that like, I had this really famous cat. Um, and so, so that was kind of the first day where it really blew up, but it's been, I don't know, it's, it's been kind of crazy just to, I didn't really start the Instagram account with any expectations. It was kind of just a way for me to have fun on social media again. Um, you know posting photos of a cat is a lot more or less stressful rather than arguing with people about politics or yes or whatever so uh so yeah it was just a way to have fun and it, i mean it's still a way to have fun it's just now he's got quite a lot of folks who who follow him
0: yeah i mean you might say that uh james uh for perspective i have posted 515 photos on instagram i have a- about you know, ten thousand followers. Um, Gary has posted eight hundred and one photos and has four hundred and two thousand followers. So you you might say that he's picked up some support. Um, how has Gary changed your life?
1: Uh, well, so it's it is kind of amusing. I never had pets growing up. I didn't have pets until I, I moved in with my partner, and uh, yeah, so it's just been I don't know. It's been nice to to have. This kind of amusing creative outlet. It's been a, an interesting experience to to run a large Instagram account. Um, it, it's very different from my my personal Instagram, which I think has about 160 followers, maybe not even. Uh, <laughs>
0: Uh, so is there like maybe some deep seated, like, uh, <laughs> is there like maybe a little, do you want to have a, do you want to have a lay down on the couch here, James, and, and maybe you <laughs> and I could talk and is there any sort of deep seated resentment?
1: No, no, it's, uh, it's been, it's been fun and it's, you know, it's a nice way to, to get out and spend time with, with Gary and, and just enjoy the mountains with your, with your pets. You can't let dogs have all the fun. So, uh,
0: yeah. What do, pe- what do people say when they see you out and about? I mean, there's probably a whole bunch of people that, that don't even realize who Gary is or they don't realize that he has the Instagram page. They don't recognize that they are following the paw prints of greatness. But what do people say when they see him out and about? Like, it's like to see a cat on a snowcat is pretty remarkable.
1: Yeah, I, cat skiing was... was Well, We there weren't a lot of people around when we went cat skiing, so didn't get that many looks there. But... uh you know, on the ski hill or, or even just out hiking, you, know, you get a lot of double takes yeah. They're like, is that a cat? You know, some people think he's a dog and then they like, wait, that's not a dog. That's a cat. <laughs> Lots of questions about like, how did you convince your cat to, walk up this mountain with you. <laughs>
0: well, how does the snow cat how, how does it like I've I've been it's a passion of mine and when you're snowboarding I me mean, backcountry snowboarding for people that don't know I mean it's it, it can be pretty hardcore is is Gary like in a in a shoulder or is he like in a chest harness or how do you he's not running behind you I can't imagine.
1: No, no, no. Gary just rides on my shoulders when we when we ski and and cat skiing was uh well, skiing sort of happened by accident. We'd gotten snowed in uh to our house in canmore one one year before christmas and gary wanted to go out he was crying at the door so the easiest way to get around town was on skis uh so i took the touring skis out and gary for a walk and uh as we were coming home there's a little hill by our house and so i thought you know when am i going to ski with my cat once it ripped the skins off and, and go for a short run. And we did a little, maybe 30 meter long run. And, and I posted a short video clip and made a joke about cat skiing and thought that was that. And uh, then I got a message from, from uh, a local cat skiing operation <laughs> asking if I wanted to to come out. <laughs> and, uh, and obviously, yes. So, obviously, or, yes. So I went, <laughs> So I went out. It wasn't uh, it wasn't a full day of cats game. They were just running around doing some errands in the cat. So I went out with them, got a few photos, and did a short, pretty mellow run with with Gary and, and that went okay. And then uh, and then this this year, uh, you, you used to be a pro ski patroller at Nakiska. Oh nice. And uh, uh, so they were looking for social media partners and I tossed my name in the hat thinking. You know who knows they might not go for a cat it's definitely not their traditional sort of social media It's partner. not their target demo if you will but uh, but I think it it was a great partnership and and they had a lot of fun with it. we had a lot of fun and uh, and Gary's pretty happy just sniffing the breeze as we cruise yeah. down the hill
0: So cool um, what's your advice to people that that uh, would love to have a famous pet of their own they' they're they're looking and they're going uh, you know the pet's at their feet right now. Dog, cat, gerbil, uh, chinchilla, whatever, newt, and and they 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 believe that their loved one has what it takes. Did you <laughs> did you capture lightning in a bottle, or can you quantum? Can can you explain? Can you give somebody step number? I'm mean, gonna step number one: start the account. Number two: yeah, get some, get think, some great photos.
1: I mean, I think the there's a few things you can do, but some of it's definitely luck. Um, you know, I've had photos of Gary that other people have posted go viral and, and that's where I picked a lot of my following. And, and as you grow, it becomes easier to, to get more folks to follow you. So, so some of it is just fate. Uh, but I think if you take good photos, you post regularly and, uh, and you're consistent in the amount that you post that you'll get, uh, you'll, you'll get a decent following yeah. and, and just, Find out what your audience is looking for, and and give them that content.
0: Amazing, absolutely amazing. People, I mean, I don't. We don't have time to read all the comments. It's great white says, "I'm absolutely amazed that Gary is comfortable wearing the goggles. Uh, does he mind? Do, you, do do the goggles get on there for the photo, and then they're gone, or does Gary wear goggles for like an hour or two at a time?
1: No, he'll he'll wear the goggles. The it has to be bright out, though, is his thing. So if it's not bright enough, he won't wear them. But uh, sorry. <laughs>
0: No, you don't even have to apologize. This is absolutely amazing. You don't have to apologize. I'll apologize one bit. Um, hey, listen. Uh, so our thanks to you. Yeah, sure. Fine. I mean, thanks for your time. But if you please, if you please thank Gary for his time. I will let him, the, the, yes. the, the cameo is so appreciated. Carl, we're loving that Carl just came in and, and just introduced himself to real talkers and has been hanging out with us and of course doug duke and marge i mean just uh, what a family you've got there i love that you grew up i'm i'm, I'm in the same boat i don't have five pets in the house we've got two i didn't grow up with pets and, and it's uh it, it certainly is a lifestyle adjustment but what an incredible adjustment and, and isn't it hard to imagine your life without them it's almost impossible
1: yeah no they're uh they're a pretty cute crew so bit of a handful with uh as many as we've got but
0: Thought yeah, they're great. I'd love to see supper hour at your house. How does that all play out? That's it's <laughs> gonna, gonna be wild yeah hey james thanks for hanging out with us man have a wonderful week and thanks for you, yeah. you've just like infused a ton of positivity into our week which is really really appreciated
1: great and thanks for having me on
0: hey it's our pleasure uh that's james Isom, who is the the human pal uh the the cohabitant of what i'm sure is a lively household scott says it sounds like a petting zoo over there that's i mean, although dogs and cats you sort of need to qualify as a petting zoo you'd i think you'd need like a pot-bellied pig or something that would be in there and a pony A pony, you could could do like a miniature horse. You could do a goat for sure. And of course, great grams of Gary is where you can find Gary on Instagram. How cool is that? James says, I am absolutely amazed by pets that will wear anything. Hope had a a cat that played fetch. Some random guy says, what a nice way to start a day full of meetings. Enjoy the rest of the day. Yeah. So cool I I love that Carl came in and I won't say stole the show it was like a subtle move Jillian left a comment she's watching live now on YouTube Jillian said um, Carl thinks that Gary is an attention-seeking millennial (laughs) I love it I think we I think we have some We have some audience members that can relate to Carl Mm. Carl's been around the block Carl's Carl was here before Instagram was around That's right right and Carl's probably sick and tired of hearing everybody talk about Gary's Instagram because Carl's like, listen, if I wanted to be on Instagram, I could have been and I would have been and I'd be a great follow. But quite frankly, I'm just that's I'm not interested. Right. And 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 Gary, you know, he's obsessed. He's always on his. I mean, he's probably always. I don't know how he, like there's no thumbs. Right? I would imagine James has to do the majority of the posting. Yeah. Right, Gary probably wouldn't do the claws; would get in the way, and it's just the touch screens. Or
2: although he could probably play one of those games of uh, they have like cat apps where you they have like fish or mice running on the screen, and right. the
0: cats can like right.
2: pad the screen. But yeah,
0: yeah, facial recognition software not really not where it so needs strong. to be for cats. So yeah. that's that's what's allowed probably. Carl to hack Gary's Instagram maybe a couple of times and like block a bunch of people to try to get that <laughs> follower count down. The dynamics, mind. I'm I'm fascinated to hear that he is. Fifth out of five on the pecking order in the house. Yeah.
2: Well, <laughs> it's it gotta like, keep his ego in check, right? All the other animals are like, you get the Instagram account, yeah. we get food first.
0: You always see, but you hear these stories. Like if if I can just for a second, if you guys don't mind if I talk about humans for a second, but you'll see you hear about these families where like there's the one big celebrity. Like you, you always imagine what would it be like to be Jeff bezos's brother? What would it be like to be Nicole Kidman's sister? Or to be like, you know, people always talk about, like, the Sutter brothers, Gary Sutter, the one Sutter that didn't make the NHL, but won the lottery, by the way. So, so you know, what about being the one that didn't make it? Or, uh, I mean, there's there's all these family dynamics that are always so fascinating. You know, the parents are like, we are equally proud of all of our kids. Well, <laughs> well. I always be like, really? When Tom Brady won his seventh Super Bowl, do you think, like, Mr. and Mrs. Brady called all the other Brady kid, the Brady Bunch, if you will, to... <laughs> Do you think they called him just to say, hey, we we know that he's everybody's, you know, posting photos with him as the goat, the greatest of all time. But like you two, you all are, you know, just 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 doing a
2: great job an important. Just keep it up
0: own way. Like your what was the Stuart Smalley skit? Do you guys remember Stuart? Smalley skit? Oh, you're you're. Oh, shoot. You're
2: good you're enough. You're good enough. You're smart, smart enough. Doggone
0: it. Gosh darn people it. People like me. Doggone yeah. it. Yeah, people like me. Yeah. Speaking of dogs, we do have coming up a little bit later this week. You want to tell the audience or you want me to do it? This is oh, going to be an interesting Oh, I'm very excited one.
2: about this. Wednesday. Wednesday morning, we are hearing from the person that started PetCon, which is... A conference in New York City. It's huge. It's ginormous um, for all things pet. And so it's kind of, it it spurred many of the other uh, pet and animal festivals that happen around the globe. And she's just written a book. She also started the Dog Agency, which is exclusively agents.
0: Like they represent dogs.
2: Represent dogs, famous (laughs) dogs. And now she's written a book, How to Make Your Dog Famous.
0: I just, I can't imagine how many of us have missed the boat. By yeah, not it's having, long gun You know, you traveling the world, flying first class. As a matter mm-hmm. of fact, if, if it works out the way that it should, the dog should be in first class and the human handler <laughs> should either be in coach or maybe underneath. Should be underneath, yeah. Yeah. Don't worry, we're going to crush up a few gravels and put it in your food. You'll be fine. <laughs> There's a little water dish. Yeah. Oh my gosh And now people are talking About famous families Is is this true Liam Hemsworth's brother Is a doctor Is that right From James Tony says What about Eli and Peyton Manning Who do the parents cheer for Well Archie Manning Yeah of course His two sons Does Archie I don't know enough About the Mannings Maybe there's a third son
2: Yeah I don't know I don't know Did you ever There's a great documentary About the band The National And the brother comes along And he is just like The deadbeat brother who just, you just, he's basically a caricature and it's, it's brilliant.
0: Wow. Kathy says one of my coworkers wants a fainting goat as a pet. (laughs) Where'd that come from? Have you seen these? Go on YouTube and search faint. Have you seen them, Sam? I've seen fainting goats. I don't know if I want one as a pet. Yeah. It just sounds... Like, every time you want to go out and play with your goat, it just faints. It would be stressful. It would be really stressful. If you have no idea what we're talking about, just go on YouTube. Uh, first of all, tell everybody else that you're meeting today or supposed to talk to you that you're unavailable. Because once you start going down this, do I say a rabbit hole? Talking about fainting goats? I don't know. But once, once you start seeing these videos, you, you, you're you just going to watch more and more and more of them. Um, I, I would be nervous, like, if I had a fainting goat because everyone would want to see it faint. So you'd be like sort of initiating a lot of pressure the, on the fainting. Goat. Well, it's a lot of pressure on the goat. And it's probably not good. I don't know if it's, I'm not a vet, believe it or not. But I'm not sure if it's good to be like fainting all the time. Like if you have a housewarming party where you've just welcomed the fainting goat to the house and then everybody wants it to faint every five minutes. Come on,
2: do it again, do it again, do it, do it again. Do it again. And he's like, wow,
0: what? Um, so, you know, I'm not sure about that. Kim says, meantime, we have a gecko that doesn't do anything. Um, I mean, that could be it. That could be the theme. That could be the theme. Marie says we have three dogs, a cat, and three horses. One of them is a mini horse called Peanut. We might be doing... I mean, we... we the, the segment ideas here. Chelsea. Endless. Chelsea, we're going to need video. Chelsea says we trained our cat to use the toilet. And it's the best thing we ever did. I'd like to see somebody train a Great Dane to use a toilet. Have you ever seen how Great Danes sit on the couch?
2: Yeah, with their a, paws down on the, the floor. The paws down
0: and the butt... Right in there I'd I'd like to see a great Dane Like actually just sitting On the throne I bet you it's been done Probably Like cup of coffee In one paw The newspaper in the other Glasses on the tip of the nose Just a lazy Saturday morning On the porcelain palace Where do you go from here? I have no idea. So it's a hard swerve to remind you that the team at Eden Landscaping right now has their crews in action. I mean, this is obviously the time of year where they're turning your landscape dream into reality through the fall, the winter, and the early spring months. They're working with their partners. They're, They're taking your instruction, your direction, whether you have a bunch of stuff pinned on your Pinterest, or maybe you've seen something from your neighbors, the Joneses across the street, and you love the way it looks. Curb appeal is their forte. And of course, those backyard oases, that's plural for Oasis. I don't know if it's actually accurate or not, but the backyard oases that they have created over the last 20 years, you can see them all over the website, landscapeemington.ca. Mike and his team have built a proud reputation around solving people's landscaping problems. They love to stare down challenges. And they don't stop until you're satisfied. That's Eden Landscaping. You can link to them on our website under sponsors, or of course, check out landscapeedmonton.ca. We also wanted to remind you that the team at Kubi Energy is right now, as a matter of fact, they're always accepting applications. Jake says to me the other day, I'm talking to Jake, the founder of kubi energy he says you know what he says we've got so many installation teams running right now if there are either electrical apprentices or certified electricians that are either underemployed or looking for work right now he says have them send us their resume via kubienergy.ca he says you never know when our next round of hiring might happen that's the team at kubi energy now there's more coming up from kubi energy in just a quick second and so i want everybody to to be paying close, close attention. You know, every day, the first day of our broadcast week, typically they're Mondays, Kubi Energy presents an opportunity for us to get our week started off on the right foot. It's something that we call positive reflections. These are submissions to talk at ryanjesperson.com and we absolutely love this one from Scott Scott says, Ryan, I have an idea for positive reflections. I want to I want to do a kindness bomb, a kindness bomb to a friend of mine. And I'm calling on real talkers. I'm calling on the audience to send positive emails to my friend Roy. He says, here's what I'm talking about. Roy Mills is a sculptor in the Edmonton area who's world renowned. A dear friend of mine, he recently had surgery. He's slowly recovering and I want to try to brighten his day, brighten his week with some positive vibes. He says, back in 2017, Roy's art, a beautiful sculpture, was installed at the Terwilliger Dog Park in Edmonton. He says, it's arguably Roy's proudest moment. He says, I think if you asked him, he'd tell you he's most proud of the high level of work and the location of it. A unique opportunity, because in the back of Roy's mind, he's, he's always hoped that one day the dog park space could have a dual purpose. Dogs and a sculpture park. There's plenty of land to go around. He says a sculpture park's not a new thing, but it would be something amazing that Alberta doesn't currently have. So here's my pitch, says Scott. He says, I want to ask people in Edmonton to go check out Roy's sculptures at the Tewilliger Dog Park. This is a call out to real talkers that are living locally in the same city we are. He says I'd love for them to take a picture or two with or without their dogs, admiring this sculpture. And then send Roy an email, letting him know how much they interjo- how much they, inter- they they really enjoyed the interactive nature of this sculpture, of this installation. He says, if they could email Real Talk as well, then we could feature some of those responses on the Monday segment, Ryan. What do you think? Well, Scott, I think it's a fantastic idea. He says, if we manage to get a bunch of people to send him emails, I can only imagine the impact it would have on him and his recovery from surgery. He says it may not fit the typical format of positive reflections. So I don't know. Well, hey, buddy, formats grow, formats expand to make way for amazing initiatives like this. He says, so here's Roy's email. It's Royden Mills at gmail.com. His real name's Royden, but everybody calls him Roy. Scott says, thanks so much in advance. So here are the email addresses, Royden Mills at gmail.com. And talk at ryanjesperson.com. Royden Mills at gmail.com. Talk at ryanjesperson.com. If you are able to get down there and snap a photo, let Roy know how much you enjoy that sculpture. Let him know you heard about this on Real Talk and make sure you CC us on the email. Next Monday, we'll feature some of the photos that we've seen. I love the initiative here from Scott. I mean, yeah, sure, we appreciate art. The sculpture is incredible. Royden, I've checked out his work at roydenmills.com amazing talent but this is a real talker finding an opportunity to take positive reflections and better somebody's life that's the whole point so scott thank you for that it's now my pleasure to tell you about a new contest the team at kubi energy is partnering with us here at real talk to get somebody's house to net zero That's right. We're giving away a full solar install. Now, here's how it works. You've got time right now, and we're going to be telling you details, and we're going to be updating you every single show this week. We want to hear your solar story. Whether it's you or whether it's somebody you know, we want to know... Who deserves a full solar install and why? The approximate value of this, of course there are different factors depending on the home, depending on the install, but the approximate value of this is $15,000. That's just the install, not to mention the savings on the energy costs. This is an enormous opportunity. We want you to send us an email. You enter by submitting your photos. If you wanna get creative, you can do a video or you can just type out that compelling story that you believe everybody needs to hear. How would a solar install change your life Or change the life of somebody else how would it help somebody accomplish their goal how would it address a challenge that somebody a person or a group is facing we're leaving it up to you we're gonna take the top three solar stories our top three submissions and real talkers we're gonna put them in front of you and ultimately this audience is going to decide who wins a full solar system installed by and provided by our friends at kubi energy as of right this minute the contest is officially open you can find more details at kubienergy.ca slash real talk and if you have any questions you know where to find us just be in touch we want to hear your solar stories do not delay that of course what an opportunity for somebody who's going to get net zero as part of their living reality thank you so much for hanging out with us on this monday morning we hope that you have an incredible week we'll be back here live tuesday morning in the meantime smash the like button subscribe to us on youtube and wherever you get your podcasts share our content let your friends know about real talk and we'll speak with you soon